Now, one of the, the huge mistakes people make with offshore staff is they, you know, much to the preface of your conversation earlier about solving the problem that isn't, they hire a VA and then they're like, right, you can do the Pinterest account. Never done Pinterest before. Pinterest never generated them any work at all, but because they've got this person here and they can do it, they start doing and adding these things in, which don't really add any value. Don't help the practice when there's this huge opportunity to level up the employees you currently have, whether it's practitioners, receptionists, yourself. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast, where we guide natural health and wellness experts through the pitfalls of marketing. Each episode, you'll learn simple, effective, easily actionable, and heart-centered marketing strategies. And here's your host, Angus Pike. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast. Today, we've got a round two with one of our favorite guests from 2019. Charlie, welcome back to the show. Oh, made it back for round two. Thank you so much for having me, Angus. It's, I'm really happy to be back. I connected with a few people after my last podcast with you and just such nice people, a great audience you've got. Yeah, they, well, I'm incredibly biased as uh, I feel like I'm kind of a podcast father to this audience too. I love and adore them and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I had um, two consistent bits of feedback from how first, so on our first episode, if you haven't listened to it, I'll have those down in the show notes, I'll link to that episode there. Uh, Charlie and I chatted all about podcasting, it got a little bit meta there. So the two bits of feedback that I had is one of how fabulous that information that we shared there too. And the other one was, is with people just saying how fabulous and amazing your voice is. So uh, that constantly there was, um, I think there's people just listening to it for the timbre of your voice, which I've tried to reproduce numerous times um, and realized that it's not just the microphone that gives you these dulcet tones. It's a a one-two balance. I mean, I've got some genetic advantage, I won't lie. Like I've been told uh, at many points in my life I had a a deep radio voice, but I do have some little enhancers. There are some effects running through this uh, soundboard. So uh, (laughs) nice to know it's coming through. I I had an interesting, because, you know, on that thought in terms of, you know, a great sales trip, because after you and I spoke last time, you shared a little bit about your equipment. Um, And I went down to... Uh, where's the place that I normally go to? South Melbourne. There's an audio store down there near the South Melbourne market where I go to get all my gear. And I went in there with cash in hand, ready to buy the road deck that you were shared with me. And it was really interesting because the very first question the guy asked me is like, what are you trying to achieve? And, and what are you wanting? And he took, excuse me, he took me out of buying all of it. He said, unless I'm prepared to do X, Y, and Z and a couple other bits and pieces, you know, we talked a little bit about what you had. One of the things that it did from it, I, I love this too, is it built massive amounts of trust. I always go back to these guys because I know that they're not just after the sale with me, they're after the long game. Um, it was a really interesting experience. In fact, I think I might have actually even had a little podcast episode about that. I think sometimes uh, as health practitioners, as small businesses, sometimes we're trying to solve problems that you know, we don't necessarily have the solution for and or don't need to be solved. But it was a great experience for me anyway. So um Hence, anyway, I'm not close to, quite close to the timber of your voice. And since we had our last episode, you've had a new addition to the family also. Yeah, so uh, new addition to the uh, team in my home, which is yes. uh, will be a segue into today's topic, but I actually had a little boy. So I've got a little son now called Jack, who's about 10 weeks old at the date of recording this. Yeah. 
So Charlie has many areas, <clears throat> excuse me, of expertise. We spoke a lot about podcasting last, but your a, a big part of your entry into the entrepreneurial world was through virtual assistants and using them to help to grow your business and help your business and then helping other entrepreneurs and businesses find and train and, and communicate with virtual assistants. And I'm super excited about talking about this. We mentioned beforehand, I've got two themes that I really want to have this year as a part of 2020 for Adio Media and certainly for the podcast. One of them is maximizing attention. And I, I, I think that the practitioner who has the most attention in 2020 and beyond is going to be the one that wins. And I think there is like many things, I've got this vision inside my head of the great land rush that happened over in the US of, right, who first out there gets it. I think there's an opportunity now for us to gain attention that'll get more difficult in the years to come. Not, not impossible, nothing's impossible, but I think there's an opportunity for us to do that. Now, part of us getting attention, I think, is also us not being responsible for everything. We need a team around us uh, as well. So I think a virtual assistant can probably fill a gap rather than us having to employ somebody in-house and have them there all the time. So my question is to start this and kick things off there too. Virtual assistants, what kind of things could a virtual assistant be helping us out as small businesses, health practitioners, chiropractors, as naturopaths, et cetera? Such a good question. I almost need to pull it back a touch and just kind of lean into one of the points you made there. Um, I think the first thing we have to recognize is how quickly the world is changing. Um, for example, once upon a time, it was a great idea to go all in on the yellow pages and on Blockbuster and on Kodak. And um, very quickly in what appears not to be much time at all is that's dramatically changed. And a friend of mine said, if you're going to define the tweens, so these are the 2010 to 2020 years, you can just look at how basically in a 10 year span that the media has completely lost control and that social media has taken over. So as a business owner, like I, I love Darwin's quote, it's not the strongest or the most intelligent who survive, it's the most adaptable. It's the ones who can encompass change the most. Um, and what I would really preface this conversation with is that online staff and virtual staff is that change. Online is that change. And if you're someone who's got a practice who's really resisting the opportunity of these changes, it's going to hurt. It's really going to hurt. And to your point is like, who's got the most attention is going to be the ones that really lean into these new opportunities and different ways of doing things. So that's where I'll start that from there. The, the second component of that question is I'll lean into just a quick backstory of like how I got into VAs and like how it completely reshaped my world. Um, I was running a uh, marketing agency. So Vela Media, my podcast company has been running for a few years now. But prior to that, I had an outsourcing company. And prior to that, I had a marketing company. Uh, marketing company got acquired, um, which is why the jumps and shuffles have moved along the way. But when I was um, in the scope or in the trenches of running this marketing agency, I quickly realized that when I was hiring people locally, the cost of doing business was just incredible. It was absolutely insane. Um, and what I found from that is that if I was going to be able to compete with these bigger agencies, I needed to find a cost-effective way to get work done um, or find a unique advantage to compete in this landscape. And just by absolute fluke, a friend of mine was doing this VA thing, Lynn Pedetti is her name, and she was my co-founder in Outsourcing Angel, um, which is my VA company. But nonetheless, it's like just by a chance of meeting her and trying it and seeing what she was doing, it really opened my eyes up to it. Now, without that chance encounter, I would have never gone down that path and would never have like taken the plunge. And I think a lot of people haven't had that person in their life. 
um, and it's growing and VAs are becoming an astronomical industry and offshore working is becoming an astronomical industry. But that chance encounter really kind of changed everything for me and then we, we launched into it from there. Now, what I would go into from there, because you asked such a good question, is the idea of like, you know, what could a VA do at a practice or how could a VA be most useful at a um, practice? And I think that's such a good question. The first thing I would really lean into is that if you've got anyone in your company right now, so if you've got staff in your company right now and there's things they're doing on a computer, it's getting those things off that person's plate into the hands of someone at a much lower rate who is virtual so that you can have your more expensive people spending more time doing the things that are of a higher value. So just, we'll do an example. Let's say I own a practice and I've got uh, a clinician. Is that what you would call it? I've got someone yeah. working in there. Excellent. Nailed the term. <laughs> but let's say I've got that person there. If that person's sending follow-ups, if that person's um, doing anything for marketing, if that person's writing reports, or doing anything, anything they do on that computer, scheduling appointments, ordering, um, I'm not sure what they would order, but I imagine there's stuff that clinicians need to do their work. <laughs> Most of us have some level of stock, whether at its simplest, it might be some pillows, you know, we have a bunch of supplements in our practice. And then we have things, you know, utilities, amenities rather, you know, we need toilet paper in our practice, just like every other business does. So yeah, there are regular weekly ordering well, certainly monthly ordering that we do in our practice. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's the stage one I look for people to do is like get the hourly rate value up of the people you're already paying. So just imagine it's like if you had a clinician who could see one more patient per day or two more patients per day or on their shift or however it's scheduled because you were able to free them up of these other things and burdens, just how much more valuable that higher paid employee would be to you, how much more profitable you could make their time or your own time. So there's probably things you're doing um, that also fit into that same category. Now, I'll just preface this. There's a fantastic tool out there called Rescue Time that is free. And you can install it on everyone's computers and phones. And it will literally tell you what's taking up their time. And that is where you find your initial list of, right, well, this is what we're going to have someone to start taking care of remotely. This is the stuff we need to get off our plate. Now, one of the, the huge mistakes people make with offshore staff is they, you know, much to the preface of your conversation earlier about solving the problem that isn't, they hire a VA and then they're like, right, you can do the Pinterest account. Never done Pinterest before. Pinterest never generated them any work at all. But because they've got this person here and they can do it, they start doing and adding these things in, which don't really add any value. Don't help the practice when there's this huge opportunity to level up the employee's you currently have, whether it's practitioners, receptionists, yourself, um, stock, websites, marketing, there's so many areas they can go into. Got it. So I wonder if, given that this is the Marketing You Practice podcast, I wonder if we looked down the path of how could a VA help me as a chiropractor, a small business owner, how could a VA help me with my marketing? Um, and, and then we can, you know, we'll laser focus in that sort of direction. Would that be okay? Yeah, definitely. Let's stick to that lane. Like there's many facets as well. You know, of course you could do accounting and all the rest of them, but if you want to talk specifically marketing, let's start with that one. Cause I think it's a fantastic one. Yes. So the, the, when I'm chatting with, um, you know, health practitioners about their marketing, there are so many hurdles that they jump up. So let's just say, look, I'm, I think that your practice should be making some videos or I think it's a terrific way for you to build no like, and trust. There are so many steps that happen even after making the video. For instance, there's the editing of the video, there's the posting of the video, there might be a paid strategy that goes afterwards. It, it goes afterwards. 
I, I would imagine, in fact, I, I know because I have a VA that does all of those things for me. My responsibility, certainly for the podcast, is to stand here. In fact, I, I organise the, the, the interview with you and I, but that could certainly be done by a VA. And then after that, that's it. That's the end of it. Um, if somebody wanted to reproduce that sort of process, the back end, where would they even begin? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, okay, so to go back to this from here, um, in the marketing channel, let's say a practice wants to start doing videos. Mm. My entire team at Bella Media is essentially offshore. So the idea being that I'm much the same as you, I just record things and they get posted weekly. Yes, I do get some guidelines, but essentially all I do is talk to the camera. I have the uh, Google Drive app on my phone and then I upload the videos. If it's a phone video, straight into the Drive app, the team grabs it and then they will take care of all the editing and publishing and that whole component from there. So it's more about like designing the workflow of, of deciding what to do is becoming the more important things. The how to do it, I find, is, is quite easy these days. There's always an app or an easy way to communicate or a whole bunch of ways to go about that. So my experience, I, I failed um, certainly three times. Um, I, I, I've, I've failed many, but in, in the virtual assistant thing. And I realized that I was very clearly to blame for all of them. And that the, the breakthrough for me was getting really clear in systems of what was I actually looking for? I think for me, I expected that if I was going to get a video editor and I would be able to just communicate to them, look, here's the document. I just want you to make it look good. What I realized is what looked good to me was often not what looked good to somebody else. And so I had to get really clear about what, what was I looking for. And so first off, all I did is I said, all right, see this YouTube video here. I like how that looks. Just make it look like that. And that didn't quite work. And as I got better at, I went, you know what, enough of this. Uh, and the frustrating thing was, is it took me all of, oh, look, even if I'd be generous, it was three hours, one afternoon. And I sat down and I cut and pasted pictures and I got videos. I like the intro of this one here. I want this to happen. When text comes up on the screen, I want it to be in this uh, font. I want it to be in these exact colors. You know, beforehand, I just said yellow. I realized that there are many different uh, tones of yellow. I could get really quite, the, the more clarity I happened to put into that document, the wonderful thing was I found a really wonderful VA and then he then got another job on a cruise ship, which was his dream job. But then when I onboarded my next VA after that, I had this document and Jason was up and going in less than a week, followed it through, had the examples. And so the breakthrough for me really was, okay, I, I need to have a document that really clearly explains what I'm after. Um, is, that, is that a common kind of mistake or am I alone with that? No, I'm just laughing. And I, I didn't mean to laugh at you. I was laughing at myself and just go, oh, this is bringing up some memories. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very similar experience for a lot of people. Um, I'll describe it from here. Like you mentioned something really interesting. Um, for me personally, I don't really think the colors yellow and purple go together in extreme fluoro. Yes. Um, but in the Philippines, they go together on everything. <laughs> yes. um, so like the really obvious one we'll do here is like in Australia, we're exposed to brands that look a certain way and we perceive they look good. So for instance, like Apple, we look at Apple and we're like, ah, oh, we love how that looks. But the reality is that in the Philippines, Apple isn't necessarily perceived the same as some of their other companies that use other colors. So that's just like one of the cultural differences you might experience in overseas is like, you know, what you think is, oh, this is a great brand may not necessarily translate from a looks. So that's one that comes up quite commonly. But 
I think you've nailed some really important things here is that working with someone locally versus offshore, it is different. And there definitely is a learning curve. And I think if your expectations are that, hey, this is just going to be like using someone in my office, that you're kind of setting yourself up to have a hard time. Now, my recommendation is much to your point from here is that you need to be more specific in your communication um, and ideally using things like Loom or video to communicate so you can talk and use your hands and point to things. And the more you do that and the more clear you are, the better a time you'll have. Now, what's and I'm sure you found this is while it was probably a little bit of work setting up how to get this first video or this first podcast put together, once that system is in place, the scale that comes from that and the rep- repetition that you're able to achieve is phenomenally advantageous. So, I mean, my whole team, as I mentioned, is offshore to get our first few podcasts together. You know, we, we spent a lot of time working out how we wanted things to look and how we set that up. And then once we got that system embedded with, you know, this is what the outcome of what we're trying to do should look like is we've been able to scale that system up really well to incorporate a lot of people. And um, it's, it's been a very, very worthwhile project to pursue. I don't know who said it, but I think the mantra of, you know, hard now, easy later, easy now, hard later, is it's exactly my experience with VAs. And I went in, as you kind of, you know, insinuated beforehand, thinking that I could just, I just employ a VA and just let them loose. And that's why I failed. And unfortunately, you know, there's a level of guilt there that, you know, I, I didn't make success for, you know, three or four VAs beforehand because of me. Um, and so the first, you know, my advice to people is just realize it's going to actually be a lot more work to begin with. And I had to fight that idea of, um, and this is strong, is, you know what, if you want a job done right, just do it yourself. It's faster to do it yourself. It's faster to do it yourself. But I very quickly realized that that, as you mentioned beforehand, that doesn't scale. It's not, I needed to sit down that one afternoon. And as I said, it's, you know, it was three hours. It's not a long time for me to then have a playbook that I constantly update um, as I go, oh, no, I like that look now. And then, you know, I wasn't able to plan for all circumstances, but as these circumstances come up, I was, I was more aware of, um, you know, the challenges that were, were, were going to present. It's a really interesting one to think about. Like, this topic can go so deeply. I've got to be honest, though, is like I find that most business owners I speak to do a terrible job at training their local staff as well. It's like they're actually conditioned just to be terrible at onboarding training and systems in general. So what, how we get away with it in most cases is there's a touch and feel factor. So if someone's in the same room, you actually got away with being lazy. You just don't know it. You should have done that same stuff of, okay, well, this is what needs to be done. Here's a system, how to do it. We're going to onboard this person really well. And likely what happened is you got excited, hired someone and then abandoned them and they had to work out their own stuff. And um, that's a very, very common story that I've seen a lot of it. I'm not you know, saying that's your audience, but in general, that's what I've found. No, no. I, I think, you know, I mentioned before, I, I love my audience. I also know them really well. I'm, I'm one of them. For so many of us, the knowledge is in our mind. Um, and I don't think that that's by any means unique to health practitioners. I think that's a big part of small businesses and not only small businesses, but medium to large size businesses too. There are silos of information that's in, in your mind. And then, you know, m- maybe step number one, this process that we're talking through today, I hope our kind of listeners are getting to, could be equally as well applied to if you're, you know, employing a, um, an in-person. I'm not what's the opposite for virtual staff. Is there another... We go with local or we say uh, IRL in real life. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like it. So if you're employing, you know, in real life of, you know, is it written down how somebody answers the phone? You know, is it written down how somebody makes an appointment? Um, I've started on so many of these processes now, it's really easy for me to shoot a video because that, as you mentioned beforehand, that is able to um, show many of the um, intonations that might be difficult to pick up in text alone that you can kind of share um, also. So I, I think even, and it was not what I was kind of thinking about today, but it's, it, it's so clear that we need to have written systems um, that will help us be able to train our staff, whether they be IRL, did you see how quickly I learned that, and or VAs. Um, do you have thoughts about putting those systems together? You've obviously done it numerous times with your businesses. What's, what's made it easier for you? So it's really interesting. Um, I'll go into a story from here that I feel like is very relevant. So when, when I was in the marketing agency, um, we grew to 15 staff really quickly. Um, and what I noticed, I suppose, three months after that was how incredibly burnt out I was. Because what I'd essentially built is an adult daycare center. Um, and I mistook um, an extension for leverage. Okay, So I thought by hiring more people, I was creating leverage. But the reality was all I was doing was hiring people that were an extension of myself. And I'll just describe it. I might have hired like a writer, let's say. This person might have been writing ads for me. But the reality was they weren't doing things independently. I was like giving them a writing task. Then they would have to give that writing task back to me. And then I would put it into the project. And then I was like bottlenecking these 15 people because I was the connective tissue. There was no autonomy or independence within these people. It was all coming back to me. And like, as we hire people, a lot of people like will come in with this saying, oh, if anything's going to get done right around here, I need to do it. If I'm away, it all falls apart. And quite commonly, when I dig into that or look into that more closely, they made the mistake I made. They've actually made extensions of themselves. They haven't developed a way where their team could work independently. So on the back of like realizing that I hadn't built a business, I'd actually built myself a job and I was self-employed because the second I stopped, it all stopped, um, I became quite frustrated. And I read a book, uh, The Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, a friend recommended it. I was devastated because I thought I was a business owner. Um, <laughs> I wasn't at all. I was self-employed with uh, running an adult daycare center that we called a marketing agency. Um, and it was only through realizing that, that we were able kind of to shift things from there. And like I, my first system I developed was a system of how to run Google AdWords accounts. Um, but once we had that and the team knew where their roles fitted in with that and it was executed by the other people, that was leverage. That was true leverage because whether I showed up or not, the team could put together a Google AdWords account and service a client well. Um, and that difference made such a big uh, improvement in the company. So when I experienced the difference between kind of leverage and an extension, that changed the game for me. And then since then, it's like when we're looking to hire VAs or even when we're looking to hire a team, I think this is the critical component we need to lean towards is that if you can combine a system of some kind with good people who can lean into that system, then you're going to have a far better experience than relying on, okay, well, this person is just going to have to work it out. Mm. Because when we do that, they're just going to keep coming to us for things or distracting our other team members to work out how to do things. It becomes very messy and unorganized. And it's only as you grow that you realize how painful that can be. Charlie, can you talk a little to some of the gray area that comes in when we mix in between delegation and abdication? Because there's part of me that, that just sort of, um, you know, when you talked about your writer, for instance, there, that, 
you know, like I'm, I'm going to let them know what to do, but then they come back into you. So then, because what I'll often see people do also is completely abdicate the role. You know, they hand it over to somebody else. They're not measuring and looking at the results. And then all of a sudden, whether it's the end of quarter one or most likely it's probably eight quarters afterwards when they wonder why their business revenue has gone down. They're like, ah, that person wasn't doing what I asked them to do or what I thought I asked them to do. Can you talk a little bit to that? It's such a good topic. Um, okay, so coming back to the idea is that where do we even take this? Because I mean, it's very, very common. I will say this is that um, the mistake I made early on was thinking that people were like me. I am actually a very regimented and systemized person. It's just who I am. I'm very data focused. I love numbers. It made sense to me to operate a business like that. Just I, It gravitated towards it. So um, for a lot of people, they don't have that at all though. And I realized that for most people, they probably sit on the other side where they're very ideas that love coming up with the ideas, probably an extrovert, which I'm definitely not. Mm. Um, and then for them, that whole system component or management component is like, God, no attention or things put into it. So I've been very fortunate that this has been something I've leaned into naturally, but at the other side of it, for when we're trying to bring this to someone's awareness, there's two good books I would recommend as a beginning. So mm. one is Traction. Yes. Um, I think is phenomenal. And then the second one is Scaling Up, yeah. um, which I can't remember the authors off the top of my head, but I'm sure we'll be able to link to them. Two really, really good books that describe uh, what I'm about to go into from here. Now, what I've done personally is that I realized very early on that we have to have a good structure for people to work within to actually get the results. So I uh, just imagine this for a second. If you're, you know, if you're hiring Michael Jordan, but you don't have a team that's worthy of the NBA, like you're quickly going to turn Michael Jordan into a B player. Yes. And on the reverse is like, you know, that combination can be amazing. Like the reason why, as much as Michael Jordan was absolutely amazing, it was the whole team and structure and the whole system that made it work. He wouldn't have done well if Scottie Pippen wasn't there. And even Dennis Rodman, it was the whole organization all pulling its things together at, at that time that made magic. I, I think, think sports. Was, probably Luke Longley was the key there as well, just an Aussie reference of you that know your 1990s basketballers. And so, uh, but yes, that's, that's me being a Luke Longley nerd. Yeah, but even to that point, yeah. it was just another thing that sat well. And, and you can look at this in so many sporting examples. I think sport is the one that kind of leads the way in understanding these topics from here is that, all right, we'll bring it back to business because I don't want to veer off too far. I could go real deep on this. As a starting point with your team is you actually have to have some sort of organizational structure for how your business runs. So whether that's a weekly meeting, how you're assigning projects, like what's the outcome of the business? So it is a big picture. It's like in a practice, right? The whole journey of like from marketing to a potential customer to them coming into uh, the practice and being converted to them, having their appointment to the follow-up, like that's the flow of what you're looking to achieve. Now, when you hire people, really what you're looking for is people to assist with that flow. And they need to know where they sit into that, which can be tracked and measured. Okay, so if you're hiring um, a practitioner, like they're there to serve clients, ideally, they may not be there for marketing, they may be there for marketing purposes, mm. but having them go through that flow and knowing where they sit is a really important thing. So when you're hiring out of the gate, knowing how to move people through that is so, so crucial. I think that's a really important component. The second part of that is documenting that so everyone else knows what it should look like. Now, when you've got that structure and you're hiring people into it, I think you can have such a more success with it. But the big thing of what we'll come back to here is you can hold people accountable to a result. 
Now, accountability is kind of the backbone of removing abdication. So if you just hire a practitioner and you just expected him to serve clients and to know what he should be doing within your role uh, business and to know how many clients he should be seeing and should know how to follow up and should know how to talk to people or build rapport, like it's very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. And I think people often leave themselves at a huge disadvantage by not taking the time to kind of go into the, these things more deeply. So yeah. it's a, it, a clarity um, almost always wins. I can't think of a situation where it doesn't, whether it be clarity now, marketing clarity, you know, it's a conversation that I like to have with my beautiful wife all the time in terms of like, you know, how do you want to be loved? You know, stop assuming that I, I know these things. Um, just tell me because I, I really want to love you in the way that you want to be loved as opposed to the way that I want to show you that you need to be loved. And I think, you know, we're having a conversation around VAs here, but what I want our listeners to know is that the way that we make a mistake is that, because in a moment I want to, well, I'll, we'll talk with Charlie about where do we find a VA and how much do we pay them and all those kind of things there. But if we don't have real clarity and a system in around what we want them to do. And I think you mentioned before, how do they know whether they won or not? You know, how do we measure success is a really key thing. And, and if you just even asked yourself that, I want a video editor and how would I know if they're being successful? Write that down. That's a really good thing to give to your video editor to start with because then they'll at least know this is what success looks like. Assuming that we've put together our first take of what a system might look like that we want. I'm going to stick with this video editor thing here as well. Um, and knowing that it will be, I think, a work in progress, as I mentioned before, mine certainly was. We've got some foundations with regards to that. Where do I go looking for a VA? Should I come to a company like you used to have that would find one for me? Do I just head on over to you know, many of the sites now? What are the pluses and minuses of those types of choices? I want to just make something really my recommendation for people. I know we're using video editor as the example. Yes. But like step one, absolutely install rescue time on everyone in your office and organization and actually see what's chewing up their time. The Got it. Best ROI you can get. And I've seen this, as I said, I reckon I've uh, onboarded a hundred plus VAs for people and myself and overwhelmingly that always leads to the best return on investment. So right. I would highly encourage, it's like deloading what your expensive people are doing so they can be focused on high value tasks will make you the most money. So that is step one. From there, you can hire in additional roles or adding roles like marketing. Um, so websites, social media, video editing, email marketing, follow-ups, like all of that can be done, but I would definitely start there. Step two is going, okay, well, if we now know what's taking up our time, what do we need to build systems for? Um, and I would say, okay, there's a fantastic tool called Loom. It's L-O-O-M. Loom, Angus, you already probably use it um, or similar. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to use um, Snagit and ScreenFlow um, for lots of my kind of video recording. I think that's where you're going in terms of for creating these type of documents. Yep. Um, yeah, so Snagit and ScreenFlow are the tools that I have become accustomed to, but I'm certainly aware of Loom. Yeah, well, I love Loom. It's free and easy and it uploads automatic, but any of them are fine. doesn't matter if it's your phone. Like yes. tool isn't important, but I would recommend Loom as a starting point. Now for the things on your list that are chewing up your time, just hit the record button and do the task. So then there's a video copy of you doing the task as it should be done or someone in your organization doing the task as it should be done. That is your system. The first task you give your VA when you hire them is here is the system of how to do this. 
document it. And that is the simplest and easiest way to do systems where it's, they're just transcribing or writing out the steps of exactly how you do it. And I, I love doing it this way because guess what? Things are going to be done the way you do them or the way the person does them. There's no interpretations. It's, it's following, okay, this is exactly how you do this. Follow with this. And um, so that's your step two. Got it. I'm, I'm just kind of seeing here as well, you know, when we talked about that staff person, the in real life staff person there, and maybe you don't have a systems practice manual. This could absolutely be the way that you get your whole practice manual done and built by you recording these things happening, handing that on to the VA. And now you've got a, a practice manual that you know, for eons moving forwards when you do have new staff coming in, because that'll be guaranteed your staff are not going to stay with you forever. That would be a fabulous use of a VA. That, and I, I, I don't think of VAs like this too, but that might be a VA role that's 12 weeks long, for instance, might not be a full-time person. I, I, th that would be a great role for someone to take. Well, on the basis of you've done rescue time, you know how much time it's taking you per week. So you can quickly decide, oh, hang on, this is chewing up 20 hours a week of my time. I better hire someone for 20 hours. Or yes. hang on, this is chewing up a lot of hours. This might be a full-time role. My theory with hiring though is like, um, we'll get to the pricing, but like hiring offshore staff is so cheap. It's like just hire full-time, even if they're half busy and in the remainder of that time, train them up so they can be more valuable. <laughs> um, so like I've always just hired full-time people, even if there's a part-time role. And then in the remaining time, it's like, right, I want you to be better at social media. I want you to be better at our email. I want you to be better at whatever tool we use. And they could go through that and upskill so they're even more valuable to your practice. Is there a limit? Because sometimes, you know, I've read extensively about this of being careful not to expect too much out of your VA i.e., um, you know, okay, they can do some of your social media, but if all of a sudden you're wanting them to build a website for you, it might be, hang on, this is, let's keep our expectations to what's reasonable here. How do we manage somebody comes on to build my office manual and then I want to actually teach them how to do some of my social media marketing, et cetera? How much, what's the range that we could reasonably expect out of a VA? That is such a good question. Um, when I first got online, VAs were like a new thing. No one even knew what a VA was. Like actually, I think VA was actually more commonly like a term for veterans. Right. Yes. And um, people would say, oh, you work with VAs. Like that's a bit unusual. Because <laughs> I was, you know, I'm obviously a younger person. People can't see me. They said, okay, well, I guess you're giving VA veterans jobs. Like, um, so we used to get these weird conversations that would come from it. And then, you know, in time it's become a big thing. So when we first got online, like literally they would have basic computer skills and you would have to teach them everything. This is how it was. Um, going forward, that's been a long time. Um, what you have to realize is there's VAs out there that likely have the experience you want. Like even now, I'm, I mean, I've got, um, we were looking for a role this morning before this call. And um, it just surprised me like what type of experience exists out there. So I'll give you an example. If you want a marketing VA for your practice, hire one that's got five years experience working at an agency because they're, expertise and knowledge and experience across these things is going to be phenomenal. So I'll, get, I'll give you a couple from here. Is, and the next one is like, often I'll look for people that used to work at Microsoft, Deloitte's uh, or Google, because they've gone through the whole Google system. Like the quality of their skills is much higher than it used to be. So number one is experience, I think counts for a lot. 
if I'm hiring anyone today, X agency experience or a few years at a bigger company is like one of my tick boxes, little hint for you guys there. Um, and then coming down to the expectations on skills, um, basic website, social media skills, basic graphic skills and basic video skills. That's an acceptable role these days. Like the tools have become so good that that level of basic can be covered. And that's what you would call like a digital marketing VA. So if that's the type of role you're looking for, I think that's very achievable. What you have to be cautious of is that if you do need specialists, so we put together quite in, in Valor Media, we put together some heavy video editing in the podcasts. We do some extreme intros. So we have like dedicated video editors where it is their life. That is all they do. And they have a very advanced skill set and they're very efficient. For most practices though, I doubt very much that they would need that. They would be better off with a broader skill. Um, so as for like the range, that would be very acceptable in my mind. And then if your practice uses particular software, let's say you use Active Campaign, like to learn Active Campaign is very achievable these days. And the companies themselves have great training libraries. So that's how we've gone about it. And every time a new skill comes out, we're definitely pushing that as well. Yeah, I think that's the other thing too that I didn't take advantage of in the early days. I found myself putting together systems videos, showing somebody you know, how to use different editing software. I went, hang on, they've got this. I just link to their video. They do it way better than I do and I don't have to you know, create things from scratch. So in many cases, the training videos that you might need to make to help your VA have probably already been made. It would be worth a look over on YouTube or similar to find out, is it made there and can I just link it into my training document? So this is embarrassing. I don't even know how to use Active Campaign. Right. I, so like my VA knows how to use it, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but I never learned it because I was like, she can learn it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just how I've approached it. And this comes back to like, you know, having leverage, like there's no need for me to learn it. I know what I want from it. I'll say, hey, send this email or do this sequence and they'll put it together because the Charlie, technical skills just aren't something I need. Was it difficult for you to because was it difficult for you to let go of things like that? You know, so for those of you that don't know, Active Campaign, like Mailchimp or Infusionsoft, is a customer relations manager. It sends our emails, it tracks our sales, it can do a bunch of those things. You, you could argue that that's a pretty pivotal part, one of the tools that you use, essential for your success, and yet you've delegated that to the point there where you don't actually even know how to do it. What, how did you get to the stage of being okay with that? So take it even further. I have a media company. I don't know how to do a podcast. Like it's, I, I've reached a level of autonomy and trust through experience is probably the thing I would say to it's like uh, confidence leads to competence. Yes. And as you start doing smaller things, you start doing bigger things. So coming back to the story earlier is like, I realized how basically how crappy the quality of my life was in not doing it and had yep. so much pain around holding things because I was so maxed out, I was so tired, I wasn't present at home, I wasn't spending time with my friends. Like my life, quality of life was terrible. But it's kind of like, you know, if you have a girlfriend and you have a bad experience and you want the opposite in the next. So it's like, you know, if you had a brunette and then it didn't work out, it's like, well, I'm getting a blonde next. I'm not, brunette's terrible. Um, so the idea being is I'd had an experience that was very painful. It wasn't something um, I wanted to have again. So the motivation for change was extremely high. And I kept going through it. I'm like, do you think Richard Branson's in Active Campaign? Uh, yeah. Richard Branson's in um, uh, whatever podcast editing suite. Do you think he knows how to do that? Do you reckon he's out there picking the colors for the logo on the plane? Yes. And I'm like, right. So the path to, I suppose, biggest success in mine was that this is a skill set we have to master. We can't do it all. 
and actually being able to manage it or have things done that you don't know how to do is, is a very valuable skill set to have. Yeah, it's such a great reminder. I mean, you know, we think back to Steve Jobs and the iPhone. I wonder how much of that whole process did he even, you know, he doesn't know how to build an iPhone. He doesn't know how to do all those kind of things. a vision at the very top of it that um, knows what to start. That's, thank you. That's a genius. That's my take home for, for today. Absolutely. Back to finding VAs. Do you have some websites that you would suggest that people start to look? Are there websites that are more useful depending on the type of VA? And then again, can you touch on also, there are companies that will help to find a VA and match it for you as, as, as well. Can you chat to a little bit of those two concepts? Yeah, there's, there's probably two ways to take this. Um, so one is what I'll call a direct way where you're going out and using uh, certain websites to find people and work directly with them. And then there's another way, which is what my company Outsourcing Angel uh, does, which was the idea of a bit more handheld approach where someone's going to navigate the overseas markets for you. Now, hiring offshore, I'm, it's different. I'm not going to say it's harder than hiring locally, but it is certainly different. And there are a lot of traps and there's just a lot of things you've got to be aware of. So if you've got the time and you're willing to um, go deep on it and spend the time interviewing people well and being able to check them and test them well, you can definitely go direct. I'm not going to pretend you can't. But in a circumstance where you value your time more highly and you want someone to go find me a person, then that's where a, using an agency like mine would be more um, valuable to you. So the way I think about it is the websites like onlinejobs.ph or Upwork are where are like meet and greet. It's like Tinder, right? It's like, as an example, you're getting on there, you're looking at people, you swipe left or swipe right. Um, you, and then you can have a conversation with them from there where the idea of using an agency is more like you've given them your details of what you want, what you're looking for in a relationship. And then someone's going out there and actually personally matching those candidates to you. So you get to avoid a lot of that time and effort and energy you spent there. So that's the, the main difference. You've got meet and greet versus someone who's like meet, greet and integrate. Now I'll give you an example. Um, earlier this week, we put a job up. Um, so a friend of mine put it, I should say it was a project I was working on with a friend, um, put a job up and they got 1500 applications mm. and filtering that and knowing what to look for is a lot of work. I'll give you something that'll make your life easier. Like first and foremost is experience, like look for X agency or look for people that have worked at bigger companies. I think that's a really big time saver from there. The second component of that is when you're testing people is that you've got to have a really good test task that you can get multiple people to do to measure it against. So 10 people doing the same task, you can very clearly see who actually can do the things or can't do the things. Three, internet. Um, certain areas of the Philippines have terrible internet. So just even hiring in the wrong editor, you might think you found a winner, but really they've got terrible internet speeds or they've got brownouts or things that are going to be rolling through, which might be more difficult for you to be able to navigate. So it's knowing all these little nuances can really help you filter through more appropriately. And when you use an agency, they know that stuff. So they're going to spend the time going through those 1500 resumes, test asking people and then only bringing you the best candidates from there. Yeah. I, I've had some success. I've used onlinejobs.ph in the past and, and through trial and error, there are a couple of little things because you're right. Those numbers that you talk about can be overwhelming. They certainly were first time around. I was able to dwindle those down to 5% of that by, you know, in the response that I wanted from people, I just put something really wacky in terms of the subject line. It was something like, you know, 
coffee application at 2 p.m. That made no sense whatsoever. But the first thing I wanted to do, I've got to imagine from their end, there's an ability for them to be able to apply from a job by just kind of hitting a button, not actually reading what I'm wanting. So I, I had a couple of wacky kind of requests that they had to have read through. It was one of the things that I was looking for in somebody that they could follow instructions really clearly. And if somebody didn't do that, regardless of whether they came back looking stunning, if they couldn't follow that first step, they, took, they didn't even get through to the next step. And then as you mentioned beforehand, I had, I think in my first week, I might've had eight or 10 video editors all edit the same video and I paid them all a week's work um, as well. I was happy to have that investment. And then I went from that kind of eight or 10 down to two, the next thing. And that helped to really speed the process up for me. Uh, because as you said, that 1500 applications very quickly got overwhelming the first couple of times I did this. So that, that certainly helped to speed it up for me. It's just, I mean, it shows you just a world of talent of what's available these days is crazy. Um, I have friends who want to hire locally and it's just such a battle. Like the access to resources is hard. And like one thing I just will um, preface here, like we both have video editors, um, which is a great common hire for the type of stuff we do. But I'll back my video editor hour for hour against someone locally. You're not necessarily sacrificing on quality when you go offshore. And I really want to emphasize that is that there is some phenomenal talent available at very favorable rates because of like, you know, currency exchange and uh, arbitrage. But it doesn't mean you're getting a, a cheaper job done or a worse job done. There's fantastic people out there. Yeah, I, I think when, if you do the onboarding process right and choose the right person, I'm happy to share. So Jason, who does a lot of this for me, um, I pay him 250 US dollars um, a fortnight. So 125 US a week um, is what he pays. Um, and so, you know, it's, there's no way I could get somebody at those levels here in Australia to, to vet. And that's, I have him full time. Um, some weeks I have full time work for him. Sometimes I don't, I find tasks for him to do otherwise, but um, you know, I feel great about it. He feels well rewarded. Um, I'm able to at Christmas time and birthdays and other times there too, you know, I can reward him and say, thank you. We got married recently. One of the highlights for me is I was able to buy their, big pig that they had at their marriage awesome. and you know it was, it's it was it's very rewarding for me as well to be able to work with and what would be a little bonus for me um can be quite impactful for um you know for jason so you know that's the the kind of dollars i'm spending as, as well where does that sit in terms of the market rate i think that's fairly reasonable depending on the experience they come with i'll give you i'll give you a range to think with if you are hiring someone that is um a junior or unskilled 400 us a month is often um kind of your base now as you creep up from there that's where like experience uh can count for a lot now i'll, I'll speak in kind of terms i would say like average acceptable rate at the moment is probably around 700 us is what i'm seeing for like if you're going for top talent yes um is, is where i would kind of market from here Great. So if we were looking at that person with some agency experience, you know, three or four years of agency experience um, and had some runs on the board, we're looking closer to that 700 US a month. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it, which is still stunning um, when you kind of multiply that out to, you know, think about the impact that that could have. We've talked about a lot of the mistakes um, that are made. Are some others, some, other, some others that come to mind for you uh, that we can perhaps, you know, give a heads up to our listeners if they're starting to head down this VA path. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give a, a few now that will make a really big difference. 
Um, my finding with all staff is it takes about 90 days to see their efficiency. Mm. So it, if you hire someone, how they are in the first week is going to be very different to how they are in uh, two months later. If someone isn't good after three months, they'll never be good. I've never had a turnaround be successful, even if I like them, which is hard at times. Um, so that's something to look at from there. Now, that doesn't mean they shouldn't be producing along the way, but I've just found like something happens after 90 days where someone's comfortable, knows what they've got to do, and they're going to be able to perform well. Now, it might be your fault in that circumstance is you haven't onboarded or trained well, but very much 90 days is my marker from there. The second thing that I see really, really commonly is the abandonment, which we've spoken about a little bit from here. So if you are going to bring on a new person and um, someone needs to actually be accountable to them, Mm. and that's the person who's going to ask questions when they fall into trouble. That's someone who's going to check with them once a week to see how they're going with the tasks and they're making progress. Like this is the person essentially they're going to be reporting to. A lot of people forget to make that time to just go, right, I'm going to put in 15 minutes on every Friday have a meeting and just check in how they're doing, look over the work, correct any mistakes early, and then adjust the system appropriately from there. Mistake number three, not using Loom. So it's like we mentioned this already, like just make videos of you doing things. If there are things you're doing or one of your team is doing, like it's such an easy way to just upskill someone and also have that really valuable training library if someone needs to be replaced. Now, the last one, which we, we didn't necessarily go into, but I'm going to give you like something I'm a really big fan of doing when someone's newer with VAs. If you're new with a VA and you're looking for like, you know, how do I actually manage them or guide them on how they should be spending their time? Um, what I like to do when I'm hiring is I'll actually get a blank calendar. So uh, Monday to Friday week with nine till five, and I'll actually schedule in how I expect they'll be spending their time. And when I give this to someone, this is a great idea for local staff as well, by the way, we do it for uh, everyone, but it's such a good framework when you're in that hiring process of going like, this is my expectation on how you're going to be spending your week. Is that achievable to you? Can you meet this? And if you've done a good test task and you can show them what a good week looks like, you're giving them a very clear guideline of like how to be a star performer at your company, how to win at your company. So I'll give you an example, like for practices, you might have, right, every morning you're going to come in and clean out my inbox. So reply to my emails, tell me what's important for a day, schedule in some stuff. Second thing, I want you to spend two hours every day doing marketing activities. So you're going to do Facebook, you're going to write some posts, you're going to get some images, whatever entails from there. And then in the afternoons, it might be creating the weekly newsletter. Obviously, I'm making this up. <laughs> um, but I think when you can give someone some guidelines on how they should be spending their time, they either are or are not doing it. So when that Friday meeting comes, you've got a talking point. So it's like, you know, this is what we were hoping to achieve. Did you achieve it? Is this how you were able to spend your time? Like what were the challenges? Mm. We need to change anything. Are my expectations not right? Do you need better training in an area? And like, that's a very simple way um, that anyone can do. There's nothing complex about what I've just um, dialogued there, but can just make a really big difference to that onboarding stage and setting an expectation of how someone's going to perform. Yeah. Uh, it's such good points and, and good reminders for me also. And, you know, my growth with where I want to head to in 2020, I, I think if I'm to kind of sum up and see if I kind of understand what we've talked about, what I would suggest our listeners do is head to rescue time first. Yeah. Find out where are you and or your staff spending your time and where are their roles that your in real life person doesn't need to actually be doing that, you know, then you can find somebody at a significantly less rate can do those. And I want to put in brackets here, which I think you articulated so beautifully. 
just because they're going to be have a less hourly rate doesn't mean that they're going to be less quality work. Um, the, the people who the I've been able to find the quality of the work is stunning at what I would expect anywhere also. And then when you find that task, the most important thing and what my successes come from again is what you just really reiterated there is all about clarity. What do we want them to do? What does victory look like? What does their week look like? You know, you're using tools like, <clears throat> excuse me, Loom, et cetera, to give them really clear guidelines as well. And I think that's a great foundation to start this whole VA game from. Have, have I missed anything there? No, I think that's a phenomenal place to start. And I think you highlighted it just allowing the time to do this well. Like accept that you're going to have to put a little bit of work in up front. Like what we've spoken about isn't time free. It's not slopping a job app up and then you're off to the races. But invest in the process. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I can't reiterate that. I, the biggest victory for me was understanding that it was actually going to be more work up front. I was already feeling overwhelmed. And so therefore I was looking for an avenue, <clears throat> excuse me, where I could stop doing these jobs and then for me then to have to take on something that was going to be more work was the barrier that I had to get over um, as, as well. Charlie, you, I, I feel like we've only just touched on this had a bunch of questions that we didn't get to. Um, we, there might have to be a round three here as well. I'm just going to keep on bugging you. Uh, <laughs> That's all right, man. We'll just book a regular spot for me. We can talk whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. Look, to our listeners, if they're wanting some hand-holding for this too, you've mentioned a few times, you have a company that helps with this too. So Outsourcing Angels. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that might be able to help our listeners achieve some of their goals for 2020? Yeah, absolutely. So it's outsourcingangel.com. Now, um, me and Lynn um, were like the founders of this many, many years ago. So when we were doing the agency thing, so I had the marketing agency, Lynn started helping me with VAs. It was working so well. It was like, holy shit, we need to do this for other people. Um, and then that company was born and scaled from there. And like, since then that's grown astronomically. Like um, I think at the current time here, like there'd be a hundred plus people working at that company now. It's a phenomenal company. Um, and what Outsourcing Angel specializes in was for uh, businesses are going, look, this is where I need the help. This is what I'm trying to uh, get done in my business. And then Outsourcing Angel will go out into the wilderness. It's not really the wilderness, <laughs> the Wild West, and actually dip through those um, candidates and find the right person for you and then help them, you get them set up in the business. And I've, I've mentioned a few points about you know rescue time and a few things here, but that's what they really assist with. It's a handheld approach to finding offshore people just to ensure you have more success than perhaps taking a loan if you don't have the time. Yeah, beautiful. Well, you know, everything that I see Charlie put his hands to is um, full of quality. It, um, I love watching what you're doing with your podcast. Your podcast is one of my regular listens um, as, as well. And today has uh, been super helpful for me. The next level for me, your idea of talking about, you know, as Richard Branson, you know, designing the logos for his aeroplanes. I get that. And, and not only does that help me as Angus as a part of Adio Media too, but I, I come back to my chiropractic practice too. And I look at all of the roles that I'm holding on to that I really don't need to as well. So, buddy, thank you for being so generous with that. It's, this has been super helpful for me personally. And I, my bet is it's going to be a game changer for our listeners also. So, on behalf of the Marketing Your Practice podcast, buddy, thank you for joining us for round two. You can bet I'll be knocking on your door for round three before the year is out also. So any final words? Oh, just thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to come on the show. Love it, buddy. Have a great rest of day. Enjoy your time with your grown boy, Jack, and uh, I look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, mate. 
If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out the Community Influencer Program. It's my monthly coaching program where we take all this material and I'll work one-on-one with you to apply, implement, systematize, and help guide you and your practice to the next level. Now, you can join me on over at adiomedia.com forward slash join. That's adiomedia.com forward slash join. I'd love to see you in there.